IVP produced this podcast as a public service. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or another qualified health provider for any questions you may have related to mental health conditions. Tell me a time where you've had trouble getting out of out of bed. Um, two days ago, I think. I, no, is it what day? It's okay. So on Monday, I had something that I'd been praying over for three weeks. That looked like I gave. I made this metaphor of like, you know how like you're on an island and you're alone and you just keep praying that somebody will help you and then you see a helicopter and you're like oh my goodness, this is it. So that was me for three weeks and then the helicopter exploded. And so that's why I am struggling getting out of bed um, this week. But I was, I I honestly, this is true. Once I got out of bed and I played with my puppies because that's how I'm coping is I just bought two puppies. It's like a midlife crisis. I went and bought two puppies (laughs) and... I was playing with my puppies and I just really felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me that God is never limited to a single person or opportunity. And so there'll be another helicopter. There'll be another helicopter. For this episode, I talked to Heather Thompson Day. She's the author of It's Not Your Turn and I'll See You Tomorrow. She's an expert in communications and has written about relationships. I was excited because she's a professor and like me, she has a lot of experience with students who deal with various mental health challenges. And that's something that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. I think my favorite part of the interview was when she talked about working with students, their mental health challenges, and the role that pornography plays in shame and mental illness and guilt and how the church can better respond on those fronts. got two puppies. What kind of puppies are they? And right now I have two puppies to just hold on this island while I cry and wait. (laughs) They're Morkies. Oh, that's adorable. Do you know what a Morkie is? I don't. I was just saying that. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite dog. (laughs) (laughs) But they, are they not adorable? They, I believe, I believe they are the cutest. So it's a Maltese mixed with a Yorkie. And I'll tell you, I had like three weeks ago, I'd been trying to get this Yorkie and I had all these puppy scammers, which apparently is like an industry of puppy scammers. I finally got the dog. I'd been showing the pictures to my son and then I was going to come go pick it up in Chicago. And like the day before they told me when I was just verifying the address, they were like, well, we sold that one. Oh, And so I was all upset. And then they ended up having this Morky that now I believe, I'm just reminding people that there's more than one opportunity. Now I believe when I got my little Morky home, I said, this was actually the one I wanted. I could not imagine a better Uh dog. So then I went and got her sister for my other son. Oh, so they're, they're actually for your kids. They're well, and me and my emotional support (laughs) both. Yeah, that's great.
That's great. Um, what are what are some things aside from these puppies that you've done to keep mental affliction at bay when you've had difficult times? I have found for me strategies that really help. Um, and I, I think I used to think self-care was like, for me, I used to watch like an entire season of Survivor. <laughs> That's legitimately what I would do for self-care. Right. And yeah. my therapist one day was like, so when you do that, does it make you feel better or worse afterwards. And I was like, oh my God, I feel worse afterward. And she was like, so that's not self-care. Um, self-care is things that make you feel better. So I have reoriented huh. my thinking. And now my all year, I walk. I okay. constantly do laps around my block. I did one this, I get up at 5 a.m. And by like 5.30, I am hitting the block, praying through wow. for the helicopter every single day. And I've done, I don't, this is the first year that even through winter, ice, rain, I am on the block and I am still in prayer. And I really felt like I was trying to like talk myself into my day most of the time Mm. this year. And it was really, it really was helpful to me to just show up to my own life that day. So just physically moving, isn't that interesting? It's like physically moving helps you get the momentum you need to get through your day. I find the same thing. Uh, Walking, my wife and I will often take walks. Walking is just a very powerful thing. Um, But how do you get from that position? Is there some talk that you give yourself when you're lying in bed and the helicopter has exploded and you know on the other side of the bed is the block? And if you can get to the block, if you can start walking, you'll be... maybe not okay, but you'll be in a better place. How do you get yourself to that, to that place? Cause it seems to me that, you know, that's where you can get stuck. Yeah. I, for me, I mean, the first thing I do, this is going to sound really cliche, but it is hand to heart. The truth. I have worship every single morning. So, and, and I have found for myself, the moments that I most resist it in my spirit are the moments that I most need it. And God has been very faithful to me in showing up and little by little by little, I'm not going to say like a grand transformation, but I have, I'm really big about like watching dates. I don't like to just say, oh, I feel horrible. And it feels like forever because it always feels like forever. I'm big about marking it on a calendar so I can see, oh, actually this has been two weeks, right? It it just helps Mm. me keep myself in reality. Um, But I have found God has, I just always, my prayer is always in those seasons, God, on the other side of this, allow my heart to still be soft toward myself and soft towards others and soft towards you. That's all I'm asking. Mm. And he, and that prayer, he's been faithful to. Wow. Um, not that there's always like a circumstantial change, but my heart is not angry anymore. And I'm able to process through and say, okay, I believe that there's going to be another thing or another opportunity or another, whatever it is that felt like it blew up on me. Yeah, that's great. What role do do other people play in this process of, you know, when you're feeling stuck, when you're literally stuck in bed, or but maybe yeah. just figuratively when you're in these periods, those two weeks where you're down or you're depressed or you're anxious or whatever? What what role do other people play? I have three children that <laughs> are. Like I am the most popular person in my house. They, it is like high school and they are obsessed with me. So it is hard for me 
Um, no matter how, like if I'm in my bed and I want to cry, I'll have a six-year-old jump up there and say, why are you crying? Are you okay? Like, come out, we miss you. And that honestly does really help to just get out of me. It is helpful for me because I can get really stuck on myself. And so when I say, okay, Heather, you're going to get up and you're going to go, um, watch a show with your kids. We watch a lot of, um, I was prey. It's a show on, uh, I watch it on Amazon, but it's like people that get attacked by like a shark <laughs> or, and that's what I show my kids before they go to bed. I'm like, let's watch the shark attack. <laughs> but, I, but we cuddle up on yeah. the couch and we watch it and it, and then it just feels like I can make it another moment. Right. I just learned to not think about how do I get through two weeks from now or next year? It's yeah. just, how do I get to tomorrow morning? And then yeah. God, will you be faithful to me tomorrow morning when I'm on my knees and I go around the block? Okay. Can I get through my work yeah. day? I just have to break it up. And so people have been, I also have some of the best, um, of course my husband's amazing too, but I have some of the best female friends anybody could mm-hmm. ever have. And I've been really lucky. I have two friends that I've had since I was like 15 years old. I've been really oh lucky my. that I can always say to them, no matter how stupid it sounds like, Hey, this is what's really going on. And this is how I feel. And I have people that can look at me and see a future for me that I couldn't see for myself. So I, I do think that that's really important and I'm lucky. I know not everybody has that. Yeah. Can I just say that when you said, what is it called? I was prey. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was a very holy, I thought it was some, some like. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. It's a great show to watch with your kids. I was prey. It's a strange title, but now, now it makes so much more sense. Well, now you have to check it out. uh, Yeah. Yeah. See if it helps you get out of bed. Yeah. That's what I need. I need. (laughs) So you've had friends since you were 15. Are they, are they local? Or do you meet with them in no. person or? No. So how are you able to keep that distance relationship going? That's a really good question. I think um, at this point, I mean, one of my friends, she's my co-blogger. So I, I think looking back, that's part of how yeah. we were able to stay because we had that shared common interest, which yeah. I teach communication. We look at relationship building. Shared common interest is a is one of the only ways that we maintain relationships with people. Um, so yeah, that shared common interest of the blog. So I'd say that that was part of that. And then my other best friend has always been like a prayer partner to me. I met her at Christian summer camp when we were counselors at huh. like 15 years old and we became prayer partners then. And she has maintained. So she, I would say whenever I need somebody to talk to about spiritual things outside of my immediate family, that's where I turn. And it's been a really beautiful relationship for me. Yeah. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about in Four Loves that one of the ways that one of the things that defines friendships is that you're standing side by side looking at something that you both love. So that makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So do you think the church has changed its views on mental health and mental, uh, and mental affliction? Mm, I mean, I've grown. I hope so. I hope we're growing. I mean, I, my world is different, I think, than a lot of other people's in that I am with Gen Z all the time mm. and, and I teach at a Christian university and I, for them, absolutely the answer is yes. I can't tell you how many students I walk over to the counseling and testing center and they, yeah. and they want to, they'll say to me, can I, can you just go with me to make this appointment? Um, and I, I always tell, cause this generation Gen Z is, like the most 
seeking mental health support of any generation. And I always tell yeah. them, it's not that your parents didn't need it. Right. And yeah. all of it, and that's probably why you're yeah. getting it because you know that yeah. they needed it. Um, yeah. So Christians today that I'm around, what a great environment around mental health. And, and, and to me that it's made it so much better because I yeah. can talk about my, I have in class, like, Oh, right. you guys, my therapist said this to me and just like, not feel weird about it. Yeah. There's no stigma there with my students. Yeah. They feel inspired and in, right. empowered. Like, oh, wow, this is normal. This is healthy. Somebody I look up to and yes. respect as an authority figure is getting the same help that that I know I need or I'm getting. So maybe I'm not broken. Maybe this is right. just what's normal and healthy. Maybe I'm human, right? Yeah. Do you find a lot of your students are struggling to get out of bed, you know, literally or figuratively, you know, in that position? Yes. It yeah. has, something is different. Um, and I've been teaching over a decade and there is something in the last, I would probably say since COVID, the last three years yeah, where literally they are struggling to get out of bed. Yeah. Do you have any theories Yes. I mean, I have a lot. Um, uh, I, I think, unfortunately, technology is a big one. I think yeah. um, they have been raised in a world. And again, I, I really want to be clear because people make so many jokes and stuff about Gen Z being right. weak or too sensitive. And it's like, they didn't build this world. It was handed to them. No. And this is what we've handed to them as a, as a world where they grew up in school shootings. Um, they grew up in where they were one day I'm in high school and the next day there's a pandemic and what's going on. I mean, there's just been so much change and instability yeah. for this generation and they're open and willing to talk about it. And then my, what I caution them is instead of turning to social supports, they turn to their devices. Yeah, And that I think, I mean, how many addicts have thriving relationships? Hmm. And right. all of us are addicted to our technology and our phones. And we know yeah. this, this generation, like their drinking numbers are way lower. They're already addicts. Right. They don't need to add another addiction. Right. I mean, they don't, they're not getting their driver's licenses. The, the, the addiction, and I really think it's addiction to our cell phones is becoming a massive problem. And addiction always leads to loneliness and isolation. So mm. I keep, telling them to take Sabbath rest from their phone. Um, make sure that you're walking down the hallway and sitting in somebody else's dorm room and building real relationships. It matters. That's how we yeah. survive. That's how we do this yeah. thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I've often heard very similar things about Gen Z, that they're uh, snowflakes, that they're weak right. or, or whatever. And I, I've had very similar experiences. First of all, they're staying stuck in bed. They're uh, addicted to their phones. And often what'll happen, the the sort of scenario is they come to college, they realize that they can't perform at the level that they were performing at in high school. And whether that's in athletics or mm. whether it's in relationships or, you know, in church or, you know, in, in the classroom. And, and it seems to me that this generation feels a tremendous pressure to perform too. Yeah. So, so there, it's ironic that they're accused of being snowflakes and not caring enough, you know? So people look at the fact that they don't want to get a driver's license and say, oh, well, you just have no drive. 
in my experience, sort of the opposite has been the case. Like they have so much drive. They are so passionate about wanting to be successful and they're so aware of how inadequate they are or convinced that they are inadequate that they fold in on themselves. And then at that point, it's like, well, I'm going to stay in bed and scroll on TikTok. Right. I'm not even watching, you know, it used to be the case that I'd have students say, well, I just watched 10 hours of friends over the weekend. Right. But, but now I think a lot of, a lot of them are, you know, they're not even watching TV shows to, for the self-care that's not real self-care like you talked about earlier, but you know, they're, they're doing, and, and they're aware of their addiction and they're, and they're miserable. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like there's none of them I have, that I've talked to have said, I am so excited. You know, I just love being on social media and being addicted. You know, they're all miserable. Right. And they're aware. But I guess it's just that the nature of addiction that makes it so difficult to to stop, even when you're aware that there is this serious problem. Um, so what advice do you give to your students? So you tell them, Hey, Sabbath rest from your phones. What else do you tell them to motivate them? What are there certain things that you find yourself encouraging your students with? Yeah. I mean, the main thing that I try to do is this is going to sound silly, but literally try to help create social networks. Cause in my situation, what happens is, um, They don't know how to approach other people. I have made myself very approachable. So then they are coming to me and I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to, we're going to have a breakfast with 10 of you that I know are really struggling Mm. in this area. And let's connect. I have given students, this is true and probably inappropriate, but I have given students money to go have lunch. (sighs) (laughs) together because I'm like, I know you don't know each other, but I know that you guys are very similar and you're both struggling. And so if you like, let me help build this friendship for you for a second, because that's social support is one of the only ways that we alleviate emotional pain. Um, and so I treat, I keep trying to invite them into actually having relationships again with one another. I think it's incredibly important. And the truth is it's the last thing any of them want to do. That's the problem. The thing you most need is the last thing they want to do. Because when I don't feel good and I know this about myself, I want to stay in my bed. I don't want to talk to somebody else about it. Right. right? Even though what is every single one of us know when you're like thinking, I can't even do this thing anymore. You spend one night with people who love you. And you're like, oh my goodness, like, hey, maybe I wasn't seeing this right. It it actually <laughs> physically changes your brain. Yeah. So how do you get them to take that leap? Man, I wish I knew. I just keep talking about it and trying to create space for it. But at the end of the day, we can't control what other people decide. Yeah. That's that's challenging. And that's a lot of work because I know as a professor, a fellow, you know, academic, our jobs, it's its a lot of work as it is. But what you just described, to love your students, to care for them, you're having to go out of your way to create these spaces for friendships that you know that they need and they know that they need, but they don't want to pursue because it's hard. Relationships are hard. I'm kind of a stinker and my administration knows. 
I tell them all the time, like, I'm not here for you. And so if you want me here, my focus, I don't want to go to your meetings. I say it all the time. I just don't, but I will (laughs) go to breakfast with the students where somebody else doesn't want to do that. So I want you to know, and my little end of the year evaluations, those are the things I write up like, Hey, this is where I spend my time. This is how many students I had lunch with. This is all the, the things that I've engaged in. And I don't want to do some of the other stuff that somebody else maybe really loves is having another meeting. Yeah, that's challenging. But those are the things I'm sure that the student evaluations reflect as well. Yeah, because that means a lot. That means a lot to them. Do you have students, and maybe the students have moved on from this, but do you have students who, who confuse mental affliction of some kind with sin? Is that something, a conversation mm. that, you, that you have to have? So here's a conversation. This is like, you guys might want to edit this out, but this is, this is what I see. And I'm very concerned about it and trying to really do a lot of work in how I've talked. Um, I see a lot of students who are deep in shame because Mm. of pornography use that they say is addiction. I say, I always remind my students, you know, words mean things like addiction means I'm burning time. I'm burning resources. I'm burning relationships. Are you a porn addict or did you watch porn? Because unfortunately in Christian culture, I think we act like those two things are the same. And Mm. we do a lot of disservice to 18 year old kids Mm. who now are labeling themselves. I'm a porn addict because they mm-hmm. watched porn. And mm. so I am big about saying like, hey, let's, let's, what does that word even mean? And then let's try to, like I said, like, let's map it out. If I did this two days this week, how do I just start making sure that I can put more days on the calendar where I'm not doing it? And then more days and then more days. That's the goal, not to get right. so sunk in the shame of it. So yeah. that's a whole other thing. But I, because so those two things, I think the sin of what they perceive to be their addiction has caused them to really, a lot of students reject the spiritual environment because hmm. I'm not good enough. Interesting. And that really, I just think so many of us as adults, and I'm talking to myself because I've done damage in that area. Um, we are going to answer for that for making 18 year old kids believe that they have done something that somehow has made them unworthy of God's pursuit or love or relationship. Um, So I really want to undo some of the damage that I myself have done. That's interesting. And that makes a lot of sense. And it, it adds, it fuels all this. So we know, or at least from what I've read, the statistics on premarital sex have gone way down. You know, in addition to, you know, you you mentioned alcohol use uh-huh. has gone down. I think illicit drug use has gone down. They're not doing these things, which on the one hand, we might say, oh, all right, this right. is great. But if they're turning inward right. and not doing anything, there is something toxic there as right. well. And I think porn use is probably tied into this, right? right? Instead of pursuing these sexual relationships, you're pursuing pornography. Right. And then there's this shame spiral that happens. And then you disconnect from spiritual communities. And when you disconnect from spiritual communities, you're disconnecting from relationships. And then you're more alone. And then you feel more ashamed and isolated and yes. alienated. And we have a mental health crisis. Yes. And I, I'm just... In my little world, in the last couple years, I am seeing that exact cycle over and over and over again. 
And I just, I keep saying it, but I'll just say it again here. I just think as a church, we have to serve them better. Um, and as uh, for me, as a part of a faith institution, how are we having these conversations um, so that we can serve them better in student life and at the counseling yeah. and testing center? Um, I don't think that that's on faculty, but how do institution, if we're bringing them in and we're taking their money, yeah. what supports are we giving them? Yeah, no, I've had, I've had similar conversations with, with many students and it's something somebody recently told me that they appreciated about my writing. And I thought was interesting was that I assume that a lot of people are using pornography and they found that comforting. Not, mm, not, not yes, that I was I affirming it, it right? Yep. But just that I wasn't treating it as like, oh, a, a big shocking thing. I was yes. treating it sort of like, well, you know, here are, here are the addictions that a lot of people have. Television, you know, excessive exercise, uh, eating addictions, pornography, you know, just and just like, oh, well, it's just another one of those things. And um, and not always the addictions, as you as you point out. But um and I thought that was an interesting thing comment because it's true. A lot of our students are dealing with this. A lot of a lot of adults are dealing with this too, right? In general, and uh, it's something that we need to talk about and deal with in a healthier way. How do you help reframe? I guess I guess you already described that by encouraging them to understand the category of addiction and regular use or something like that so that they can see that seems really helpful. Why, why is it so hard to make friends the older you get? Well, I, th I think one is a lot of us are, my generation millennials are moving. I mean, we move all the time. We, like you said earlier with Gen Z, I think millennials too, everybody so desperately is trying to be important. And I have mm. been so convicted of this in myself that we are robbing ourselves of what actually matters. We're always feeling like we're coming up short because every time I log on, guess what? There's 50 people that are doing this exact same thing I'm doing better than me. Yeah. So it just always feels like I'm coming up short and I'm moving away from my only like family and people who love me and where I feel safe. We know how important safety is on Maslow's yeah. hierarchy, food, water, safety. We're never safe. Because yeah. we're constantly taking the next best thing, trying to make a few more dollars, trying to be, make myself more important. And I just think most of us are miserable. I'm speaking for myself. I just moved back home um, because the truth is I was oh, wow. miserable and I wanted to be with my family and it felt really good. I, I mean, it, my husband and I, like we're living in this honestly like miserable little town. Not that just because it's so small, there's nothing to do, like two stoplights. And yet I like walk my block and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really grateful when I, at the end of the year, when I was thinking through, my goals. I was like, I didn't reach any of these goals that I set for myself last year, but God, I can see how rich I am relationally. I am mm. so grateful that I get to have one. I, yesterday, my mom drove with me two hours to go pick up a puppy, right? Like I can do that. <laughs> Even though she thinks I'm, I've lost my mind. Like I can do that. You know, I'm going to go to lunch with my husband today. I can go see my sister. Like that's so important to give yourself yeah. spaces with people who, you know, just love you and aren't trying to, yeah you know, to use you or hope that, um, one day you're, you're more important. Like it's enough. You're just enough as you are. Cause you always have been, I, I think at least my, I'm going to speak to millennials here and I, I see Gen Z doing it even worse than we did. I mean, we have got to prioritize people again. Yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. There's a, a deep disconnect. It's, it's harder and harder to keep friends because people move. Yep. There's the pressure to 
to compete, to be yep. successful. Um, the job market is tough too. And it so is. that's, that's part of it. And, you know, the housing market is difficult. And so oh, it's my like, goodness. you know, how do you provide for your family? You want to, you want to provide the best for your family education. I don't know about you, but I feel like as a parent, it, providing education, quality education is the hardest part yeah. of my parenting you know, discipline is difficult and, you know, other things are difficult, but boy, finding the quality education that I can feel confident and, and, you know, that they're safe in. And as you mentioned, you know, school shootings and things don't make yeah. that easier. Yeah. It's difficult. So connect to people, pursue relationships. That's the advice that you're, you're giving to millennials and Gen Z. Alan, I just, if I just long for the day that I mean, the church has such an opportunity. That's the one thing I really, yeah. I do love so much about being a Christian is I can move. I just, I moved um, to a brand new city. I was in Denver. And it's like, as a Christian, I get to just walk into this built-in community for me. And yeah. if it would just be healthy, <laughs> I could just walk <laughs> in and move and feel and truly be a part of a yeah. family of God in a totally different state across the country. That, right. I just want that to be the goal, you know? Yeah. It's true. You know, so many of these things that, that we need, accountability, support, relationships, we have built into this thing that we do every Sunday. Right. Um, but it does have to be healthy, as you say. That's got to be, that's got to be the key. All right. So leave us with some encouragement, if you would. Why, if you were to tell, you know, you could imagine thinking of your students or friends if you were to tell them why get out of bed, why live, what would you say to them? I have found that the most beautiful and also difficult aspect of life is that every day is the opportunity for something to totally change. Hmm. And I, most of the time when my entire world changes or the, the thing that I'd been praying on for two years or six months or 10 years, all of a sudden clicked into place, I had no idea it was going to happen, right? We're always like one phone call away from everything being different or meeting one person away from everything being different. And getting out of bed is the only way that we experience that. Hmm. And so I'm not saying we don't wrestle I think we wrestle and we get up in the morning and I'm telling you, you spend time with God and ask him to give you the strength. I have, I'm just saying in my own life, I have seen it to be so fruitful yeah. to just say, God, I need you, the God of daily bread one more day. Can you just get me to one more day? Hmm. You never know what day is the day that everything changes. I mean, I just remember one day I was feeling really down. This is about four years ago. And I said, okay, if I focus on myself today, like I can't get out of bed. So mm. what are three things you can do, three people that you can prioritize that, I, mm. okay, I can't control my day. What are three yeah. people that I can control theirs? Like I can do something, act to make them have a better day. And I just made a list. I'm on my way into work. I stopped and I got flowers for a coworker who I'd noticed had oh, been wow. staying late at work. And I just put it in her office with a little card that said, I see you. I had a conversation with a student um, and I can't remember what the third thing was. But at the end of the day, as I was driving home, I felt better. Because I knew that even in my circumstances, even in my brokenness, even in my depression at that moment, I was still capable of making somebody else's day a little bit more livable. And that's how I was able to keep going. And so if we can, if we, as much as we can stop focusing inward, and I'm not saying that it, 
we shouldn't do that. There's moments. Right. But when we start looking outwards and saying, what is, like, there's so many things in this world. What can I do from where I am? How can I be faithful to what God has actually placed in my hand instead of looking yeah. at all the things that aren't in my hand? What is in my hand and how do I serve right there? That's beautiful. In this conversation, I didn't think we would end up talking about the significance of pornography use on mental illness and mental health issues in in young people. But in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense because um, the more alienated we are from one another, the more we're turning to other means to be feel connected and be connected to one another, um, even if it's artificially through the use of things like porn. I thought her point about reaching out to three people when you're struggling to get out of bed as a way of motivating yourself was insightful and inspiring because I am not the type of person who, this sounds bad, but thinks about how I can affect other people. I know that I do, but I just don't consciously think, wow, I'm going to go affect the lives of three people today, um, even though that's what I'm doing each day affecting the lives of exactly three people. IVP is invested in advocating for mental health through the publications of books like On Getting Out of Bed by Alan Noble and It's Not Your Turn by Heather Thompson Day. IVP provides Christian resources for both individuals and professionals. Find all of IVP's mental health resources at ivpress.com slash mental health. 